Peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Mighty Father, by your grace alone, you have gathered us here to be disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. But Lord, we recognize that following Christ comes at a great cost in this world. And so today, Lord, we pray that you would help us to count the cost, help us to understand our mission faithfully and to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would grant us this day your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, our family went to a gathering, a, a number of some of our favorite people in this world gathered together at, at a home, and we had a wonderful dinner uh, at this house. But as we were waiting for the food, our, our, our marvelous hosts uh, put out uh, snacks, things to, to snack on while we were waiting for dinner, as you so often do, and they had there a big bowl of pretzels, big bowl of pretzels right there, and that was, that was very nice. No one ate the pretzels, however. Uh, because there was one young man, probably four or five years old, uh, who was enjoying the pretzels all to himself. Now, what he liked about the pretzels was the salt. So he would grab the pretzels, he would uh, lick off all the salt from the pretzels, and then put the pretzels back in the bowl uh, for everyone else. It was, it was delightful to watch. Uh, no one stopped him. In fact, he kept doing it because we were laughing at him. We were encouraging him. He liked the positive reinforcement. We liked the thought of someone putting their hand in that bowl. So it just kind of kept going uh, the whole time. And it was funny until he wanted to start sharing with others uh, and start handing out the pretzels. And then it's hard to, to say no. But uh, uh, I don't think anybody got sick that night. And so that was a good thing. But, but I, I, I laughed at this. This was a funny thing. And I tell you this story today because I think it's actually pretty helpful for us to understand what Jesus is talking about as he talks to us about salt losing saltiness. Now, what happens with those pretzels when you put them back in the bowl? As it turns out, it ruins the bowl of pretzels. And if you eat them, you're, you're probably going to get sick from eating the licked pretzel. Well, this is a helpful example for us as Jesus says these words to us today. Now, I want you to listen again to Jesus' words. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I have to uh, confess to, you my own, uh, to my own embarrassment this morning. I'm not really sure what Jesus means when he talks about salt losing saltiness. That, that is to say, I don't know how salt can lose its saltiness. I don't, I don't get that. And, and trust me, I've looked at the commentaries. I've had plenty of people explain it to me. Perhaps you have an explanation that will help me understand it better. But all of these would take way too much time for us to try and figure out how salt as a sort of um, a, a, a thing can lose saltiness. I don't totally get that. But I do know what it's like to watch someone lick the salt off of pretzels. And I do know how gross that makes the bowl and how it can make people sick. When the pretzels have lost their saltiness, we got a problem. So what Jesus is saying to us today is very important as we think about what it means to be his disciple. We'll see if we can, we can tie this all together here. Jesus is talking to us about discipleship. We might say the call to discipleship, though probably better here we should describe it as the cost of discipleship. If you recall uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his wonderful book, The Cost of Discipleship. 
Jesus is talking to us about the very heavy cost that goes in to being his disciple. And he's saying this to crowds who are following him. And he uses very harsh and aggressive language. He says, if you're going to follow me, you must hate, that's his word, you must hate mother, father, spouse, child, and really even your own self. If you're going to follow me, you're going to need to take up a cross. Jesus is saying to be his disciple comes at a great cost to us. And he has to say this because he's being followed by crowds who simply don't take discipleship seriously enough and they don't take Jesus and his mission seriously enough. So everybody here thinks they want to be his disciple, but you have to ask yourself the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, I know we think, oh, it's, it's a safe thing. You know, you sit at his feet, you learn from him, you read his Bible every now and then, and you start to learn what he wants you to do. And that's, that's part of it. But to be a disciple of Jesus means that you are to follow Jesus. And that's less safe. Because where is Jesus going? Well, Jesus is going into a world full of sin and sinners who reject him and his message. Jesus is going to a cross where he is going to bleed and die in a brutal fashion for the sins of the world. And he calls us to follow him into that world and to take up our own cross as his disciples as we proclaim the word of the cross that brings salvation. Now, it's not an easy thing to do. It's hard to follow Jesus in this way because you have to understand we are going into a world that has worked for, for, from the beginning to reject God. See, when disciples go out proclaiming the word of Christ, when Jesus shows up in the incarnation, in the flesh, here comes the presence of Jesus. See, when we preach the word, Jesus has promised us this, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when we proclaim his word, he is promising, I am present in that word. I am in that word to enter into people's ears and hearts so that they come to faith. Jesus is actually present in his word. So we bring that word into the world. But the world is a place, and sinners are such that they have worked since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, to reject the presence of God. The whole history of mankind is sinners trying to remove God, to overcome God, to reject and get away from the presence of God so that when the disciples show up with the word where Christ is present, they should expect difficulty. As those who proclaim the word of Jesus, we should expect rejection, persecution. The world's not going to welcome us with open arms. So why does Jesus do it? Why does Jesus send us out with such a difficult word and difficult message? Because he knows it's the only word that brings hope. It's the only word that brings salvation. It's the only word that brings forgiveness before God. And it's the only word that brings healing to a world that is dying in its sin. So Jesus sends us as his disciples into the world with the command to proclaim this, world, uh, this word and to hold nothing back. To proclaim God's law and all of its truth, to expose sin and all of its evil, to proclaim the gospel in all of its sweetness. It's a word that we are not to water down. It's a word that I can't really hold back from you this morning because that's what I'm here to do. 
I've been called and ordained by God as a pastor to proclaim this word to you and to tell you the truth. So I can't hold it back anymore. Here it is. You all in this place, uh, this is such a nice thing to hear on Sunday morning, are sinners. Sinners who deserve God's punishment, who deserve God's wrath, who, who deserve hell. And even though we are all saved here, we still have this sin in our lives that Jesus is against. And yet, that is not your faith. Because God has decided to do something to save you. And you are forgiven for your sins. Because God put on flesh and Jesus came in the flesh of a man, in your flesh and my flesh. So that he might live the perfect life for us. What that means is, is that he obeyed the law that all of us have broken in our sin. He obeyed it perfectly and then watched this, decided to give you credit for his work. He gives you credit and me credit for his obedience. Then he takes the credit for our sins and he goes to the cross where he suffers and bleeds and dies in this brutal death as a sacrifice of atonement for us so that our sins are forgiven and dealt with and punished in the person of Jesus Christ. But he does not stay dead. He rose from the grave and he conquered death and he conquered your death so that your death is only temporary. He conquered death to promise you and I the gift of everlasting life. And I know he did it for you because in your baptism he promised you this is all yours. All of this I did for you. That's what baptism is. The promise that Jesus did this for you. And I know he did it for you here this morning because here I am proclaiming it to you and he promised to be in the word that is now entering into your ears. Jesus is here now again telling you, you are mine. I forgive you. I love you. All your sins are washed away. Now the goal of this word being proclaimed is that it enters into our ears and into our hearts and then we believe it. But watch out because this thing is contagious. And what you start doing is you hear this word and it starts bubbling up out of your lips and you start wanting to tell people about it and you want to share the good news that Jesus Christ has done this for you and for me and for the whole world. And so we go out as graciously chosen disciples to proclaim this word. And make no mistake, if you are baptized, you are a disciple. We don't have classes of Christians here where we have the baptized team and then the disciple team. Like all of us are disciples. All of us are called to go out and share this good news, to proclaim it, to give it away. But you have to understand that Jesus does not give you permission to hold back. He does not give you permission to water it down. He does not give you permission to change or adjust or alter the message in order to make people easier, make it easier for people to necessarily understand or to make them more comfortable. We are told to proclaim his truth with no reservation to a world of sin-loving, God-rejecting people who love the very thing that is killing them. And so we cannot expect the world always to receive this well. And they will reject it. And I think we find today in our reading at least, well, there's two ways I think we can reject it, and the reading will deal with the second one. The first way we find this rejection is through persecution. And th this you see throughout the history of the church, violent persecution right? Uh, the government's coming in trying to silence the church. The world is going to try and find ways to silence the preaching of the gospel, and they will use violence and persecution and all these sorts of things. But let's be honest, those are the easy things to spot, and in a certain sense, those are the easier things to handle. The more difficult one to handle, the more difficult thing to handle is the person who comes along and wants you to be quiet about the word of God, you know, because they love you. 
and they're worried about you. And they don't want you to go to extreme. These are the person who come along and they say, listen, we'll listen to your, tr- your words about Jesus, but don't give us the full truth. Water it down. Desalinize it. Make it palatable, relevant, welcoming. See, the world stands ready for you to give them Jesus so long as you give them the Jesus that they want, the Jesus that they like, the Jesus that they agree with, the Jesus that they will vote for. You give them that Jesus and you will receive a warm welcome from the world. And that is tempting because that is what we want so often as Christians and so often as the church. We want the world to want us. What's the old cheap trick song? I want you to want me. Right? And so we go out and and the world says, we'll play this game. We'll compromise with you if you just tell us what we want to hear. And so what we'll do is we'll just stick our hand in that bowl of pretzels and we'll lick off all the salt from the pretzels while the world laughs at us and we like the positive reinforcement, so we keep doing it. The only thing is now uh, the bowl is ruined and everyone's getting sick and dying. See, I think sometimes in our sinful nature we're more concerned about whether or not the church has a high approval rating and good attendance rather than we are worried about whether or not people uh, can trust Jesus in the face of death. So a few examples. Think here of the theologian in the academy who compromises, say, on the authority of Scripture so that he or she is accepted at the university. Think about the church that capitulates to the culture uh, by using political discourse from the pulpit so that they can be celebrated by those who are powerful on the left or on the right. The preacher who tickles the ears of his congregation because he preaches more against the sins of Biden or the sins of Trump than he does about the gracious work of Jesus Christ. The Christian who keeps their family happy by going to the dinner table and not bringing up the truth and speaking out against the sin that is keeping their loved one away from the church and speaking out against the thing that is keeping their loved one away from Christ. These are people who love mom, dad, wife, husband, child, brother, sister, and let's be honest, love themselves and their own comforts in this world more than the call to discipleship, more than God's word of salvation, more than Christ himself. And so Jesus says, unless you hate these, you cannot be my disciple. Now, hate's a strong word, right? We're not supposed to hate anybody, but here Jesus seems to be saying something quite different than that. So what does he mean? Now, Jesus doesn't mean that you are to slander them behind their back, that you are to violently attack them, that you are to put them down and mock them and work against them. What he means is, is that you are to stand opposed to anyone, anyone who would try and take the gospel away from your heart, stand opposed to anyone who would seek to take the full gospel away from your ears, and who would seek to take the full gospel away from your mouth means you must hate the fact that the world wants you to water down the gospel. He wants you to know that those pretzels to him are disgusting. And they're letting the world die in their sin. See, here's the thing. Jesus has no time for compromise with the gospel because he's not dealing with like a a self-improvement project here for the world. He's not dealing with people who need to be sort of massaged back to help with therapy. Jesus comes and he is at war. He is at war with sin, with the devil, and with death. 
And we are in a world where we cannot avoid these things. You cannot avoid sin and death. And these are enemies that would keep you from God. And people in this world are dying from this because nobody will give them Jesus straight. Because they love their comforts of home. They love mom and dad keeping them happy. They love being welcomed by the culture. And so the church decides and is really tempted and we sometimes as Christians are tempted to simply put these people on what we might call spiritual hospice care, just making them comfortable while they die and go to hell. I found a good example of, of what I'm trying to get at here this morning in a, in a book, uh, Priceless Christianity, by a guy named uh, Mike Horton. Uh, and in this book, he recounts a scene from the old television show ER. Do you guys remember the, the ER show? Um, it was a hospital drama. Well, there's this great scene where there's a police officer uh, there, and, he, and he's dying of cancer, and he's riddled with guilt. Uh, and so I'm going to re read to you from the book and, and how the scene is, is given to us. He writes, Lying in his hospital bed while he is dying from cancer, a retired police officer confesses to a chaplain his long-held guilt over allowing an innocent man to be framed and executed. He says, How can I even hope for forgiveness? The chaplain replies, well, I think it's sometimes it's easier to feel guilty than forgiven. Which means what, the police officer says. Well, that maybe your guilt over this death has become your reason for living. Maybe you need a new reason to go on. I don't want to go on, says the dying man. Can't you see that I'm dying? The only thing that is holding me back is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what comes next. What do you think that is, the chaplain gently inquires. Growing impatient, the man answers, You tell me, is atonement possible? What does God want from me? The chaplain replies, Well, I think it's up to each one of us to interpret for ourselves what God wants. The man stares at her in bewilderment. So people can do anything? They can rape, they can murder, they can steal, all in the name of God and it's okay? Growing intense, the dialogue draws to its climax. No, that's not what I'm saying, the chaplain responds. And what are you saying? Because all I'm hearing is some new age, God is love, have it your way garbage. No, I don't have time for this now. You don't, you don't understand the chaplain counters. No, you don't understand. Look, I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. Missing the point of the man's struggle, the chaplain collects herself and says in a familiar tone of condescension, disguised as understanding, I hear you're frustrated, but you need to ask yourself. No, the man interrupts. I don't need to ask myself anything. I need answers, and all of your questions and all your uncertainty are only making things worse. With no more to evaluate his tone than to uh, with no more to evaluate than his tone, she encourages calm. I know you're upset, she begins, provoking his final outburst of frustration. God, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness, because now I'm running out of time. It's a powerful scene. But it reminds us of this truth that someone who claims to be a disciple of Christ and has nothing to say in the face of guilt and sin and death is a sloppy, disgusting pretzel, ruining the church and making people sick. What we need, what the world needs to hear, is the gospel without compromise, the fully harsh truth of the law and the real evil of our sin and the even more miraculous and greater truth of the gospel.
We don't need Jesus to come and make safe spaces for us to die in. We don't want a safe Jesus. We want the Jesus who bleeds and dies and conquers death, who forgives sins, and who looks at a dying man in a hospital who is frightened of what's next because of his guilt and says to him, your guilt is real, but it's also really paid for with my blood, and you are forgiven. You see, that is the message that you and I cannot hold back from this world. We need the forgiveness of sins. A word that we cannot hold back. But here's the deal. If you're going to share it, you've got to receive it. You can't go out and spread something that you don't have yourself. So here again the good news. I stand here today to put Jesus in your ears and in your hearts, and I pray that he finds his way to your lips. The news is this. Jesus opposes anything that would keep you from his love. Jesus stands opposed to anything that would prevent you from hearing this good news today. Your sins are paid for, your guilt is removed, and you are forgiven. Jesus loves you eternally. And he will stand for nothing that would try and take that away from you. Take that away from the world. Amen. Right. Mighty Father, give us courage. Give us boldness. Lord, give us humility in our speaking. So that we would speak not what makes us comfortable and happy and gives us exaltation and, and honor in the eyes of the world. But Lord, give us courage and boldness and humility to proclaim your word. Trust you to accomplish your will. Lord, we need such courage and we need such boldness. We need your